0: Welcome to Stoic Conversations. My name is Caleb Ontiveros. In this podcast, Michael Tremblay and I discuss the theory and practice of Stoicism. Each week, we'll share two conversations, one between the two of us, and another will be an in-depth conversation with an expert. In this conversation, I speak with Sharon Labelle. Sharon is the author of The Art of Happiness, which is one of the best modern introductions to Stoicism. We talk about her daily practice, the reality of running communities in the digital world and the importance of depth. It's the nuanced challenge of this last point that I took away most from this conversation. Sharon is thoughtful and focuses on the most practical aspects of wisdom traditions like Stoicism. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do as well. Here is Sharon LaBelle. There's so much to talk about, but let's start at the very beginning. What is your story?
1: What is my story? I'm best known for being the author of the book, The Art of Living, right here, the classical manual on virtue, happiness, and effectiveness. And it's, it's a popular meaning for the people, meaning for every man or every woman interpretation of the Stoic teachings of the great Stoic sage Epictetus. And I wrote this book quite a few decades ago before the, I don't know, I guess what you could call the Stoicism movement started to flourish. And I write about all kinds of philosophical topics i do public speaking and i'm a co-founder of the international philosophical community online called the walled garden i founded this with my colleagues kai whiting and simon drew and we're having a lot of fun building community in a digital space with people who are bringing honest inquiry to their personal searches. It, the culture that we're building is really beautiful. And a little footnote to that, Is I'm uneasy in digital spaces, or at least I think I have a healthy skepticism of of them because I'm a big fan of non digital culture, standing in front of people in three dimensions in all of our non curated awkwardness. So this was an interesting change for me to try to see if we could do something worthwhile to bring people from all over the world together and just see if we could really touch each other's minds and hearts in a way that would be worthwhile for all.
0: Do you see yourself as a stoic or would you prefer to describe yourself in another way?
1: I... I never object when people refer to me as such, because it's not that I'm not a Stoic, but I prefer to just think of myself as someone who is excited to learn from any good fount of wisdom, Mm -hmm. whether it be an ancient wisdom tradition or even somebody I'm standing in line with at the post office, I think wisdom is everywhere. And I get a little nervous when it's codified because that tends to give rise to certain charismatic people can take ownership of the narrative of, of a group. And there can be problems with unequal power, manipulation, and so on. Those are, I don't mean to be catastrophic in my thinking, but I just always like to keep my lance free.
0: Yeah, there's something to that. Labels, movements like this are always good at bringing people together, but there's also the risk that you shut others out or become isolated in a way that particular individuals can take advantage of.
1: I think you're right, Caleb. Yeah, and certain people, when they feel that they have found something valuable, and of course there's the origin texts of Stoicism or treasure troves of terrific guidance that's just as relevant today as it was back in the day, people can start to overly identify with the ideas and start to sort people into the categories of are you doing it correctly or incorrectly i would rather be around a fool who is kind and lives well than someone who has all the answers or yeah you
0: know. so one question that sort gets at this issue of stoicism and other life philosophies, if you will, is you talk about Stoicism having a broadly Eastern element. How do these two worlds, the ancient Greek and Roman philosophy and the more Eastern side of things come together for you?
1: I see them both as contemplative traditions. Mind you, we're talking about a huge swath of wisdom and practices but one of the things that first attracted me to stoicism was that i had and continue to for many years i practiced zen buddhism and the the premium put on stillness the value that can be found on in stillness I found elevated in Epictetus's discourses and in Marcus Aurelius's meditations by stillness I simply mean settling the mind so that you can so that you can see the world with clear eyes mm-hmm. I think I think both worlds put a high value on that
0: yeah I' seeing the world seeing the world anew it's always a good phrase um, yes. and it's useful to think of the project some w- parts of the project is clearing clearing away your mind if you will so that it's easier to find what you're looking for
1: yes, there's so much there once we part the cloud
0: that's right yeah. there's also th- this connection. I think that especially Marcus Aurelius talks a lot about the ephemeral nature of things, how things are moving in flux, and that ties quite a lot with other ideas about how things are interconnected, ephemeral, that you see in other traditions as well. Indeed. So in terms of your practice, if you will, is that something you think about as having a daily practice or... I know others might be, maybe they approach philosophy in a more intuitive and less systematic way. So, how do you think about this issue?
1: For me personally, daily practice is essential, and I'll talk about the substantive part of that in a second, but it's the easiest thing in the world is to drift from one's own ideals and principles heaven knows not only the pace of modern life but all of its claims wanted and unwanted on our attention make us almost inevitably very scattered very fractured in in our minds i'm not Maybe you're thinking, tell me something I don't know. This is real. This is part of our lives. You receive a text and automatically you become this kind of passive responding machine. And even if you're bringing your own creativity to bear on your response, you're still, you're tethered to to the author of the text that came to you, for example or the advertisement that's put in front of you. And so if we don't regularly bring ourselves back to order, so to say, again, stillness is kind of my keystone. It's really easy to just to get lost and to just live one's life in a posture of reactivity, rather than creativity or proactivity. So what to do, what to do. I don't prescribe any particular daily practice to other people, because I think everyone is different and needs to find out what works for them best. But. I think it's so valuable to create that narrative through line diachronic uh, across time, Mm -hmm. so that you have this strong cord. This, like, you can hold on to your rope, Right. right? Of of your principles, what matters the most. So, what do I do every day? I happen to practice yoga every day, and I just I like it because it's a moving meditation, and when I'm done, my my mind and my heart feel centered, and it's then that I read some source of wisdom. Mm-hmm. I often go to Stoic so- sources, but I look at all kinds of different things, and then rooted in all that, I then... Me my day as best I can
0: is there a particular source of wisdom that you've been looking at lately
1: i've been I have a daughter who chose to be a rabbi actually her her father had been a jesuit priest and and I was a secular jew, and she decided to go into the rabbinate, and so she has been sharing a lot of, lot, but some very interesting Jewish sources with me that I've been enjoying, particular Abraham Joshua Heschel, whose ideas I find fit, fit like a glove with some mm-hmm. of the highest ideals of Stoicism, interestingly enough.
0: Yeah, that's a tradition that I know less about. At some point, hopefully that'll change. We had a fellow named Zohar Atkins, who is a rabbi and a philosopher and poet type. And we would chat a little bit about that here as a part of these this series. But that's still a tradition that I am woefully ignorant about. Yeah. there are so many.
1: There's so many.
0: One thing that stuck out to me when I was reading your book, it was a line on seriousness, something to the effect of spiritual progress requires us to highlight what is essential and pay less attention to what is trivial, which to me brought to mind the sort of virtue of seriousness over things like sensationalism or near-term gratification. Could you speak to that a little?
1: Yes, definitely. Seriousness implies judgment it implies differentiation it's not as sometimes people will say oh it's all good no it's not all good we kid ourselves that way and in order to live a meaningful life we necessarily have to make we have to make value judgments along the continuum of Good, better, best, bad, worse, worst. And we have to bring those value judgments to bear on aesthetic choices, on spiritual choices, on practical choices, and on our moral choices. And I think part of becoming a serious person is embracing that discernment and that judgment not being sanctimonious we're not talking about that i know when i was coming of age as a young person the zeitgeist was oh don't be judgmental don't be so judgmental but it's not all good it's Mm -hmm. everything is not all good you if we're not Making these micro judgments, then nothing means anything. So, one of the things I love about Stoicism is it elbows you in the ribs and it says, Stand up and be a grown up. Decide what is good. Decide what is worthy. Mind you, keep an open mind. Keep learning. Don't assume that. You know everything in a conclusive way. If we don't make these distinctions, then we're just bags of meat, just Mm -hmm. living by our basest instincts and just seeking gratification and avoiding discomfort. And that, that forsakes our dignity as human beings, and it also forsakes just the opportunity That ordering our lives through our values, not as a, not being abstract about them, but being very specific, that makes, that makes the world better for everyone when we know where we stand and our thoughts and our words and our deeds are congruent.
0: Yeah, there's a honesty in that, of course, and expressing one's judgment. I think often in some circles there might be some hesitation to express one's values in certain scenarios. Of course, there maybe the opposite problem arises in other circles, but often I found that if you state what you think about something in a relatively clear manner without intending to antagonize someone, whether it's a practical judgment, political one, or aesthetic one, often one can have pretty reasonable conversations.
1: Yes, that's where I think, Caleb, that's where the excitement, where the connection begins. Because it's not like you're trying to persuade someone else to be you or to see it your way. But if you show your cards, then you can talk, then you can learn, then you can listen.
0: Absolutely. One thing that also came to mind in that section is, I've recently, as in last year, I read a book by a philosopher named Zena Hitz, who talks about St. Augustine quite a bit. And Augustine had this distinction between curiositas and studiatas, which are two Latin words, which essentially just means curiosity as a vice and seriousness as a virtue. so the kind of curiosity that he thought was vicious was the sort of thing that Drove him to watch with some kind of perverse pleasure at glad- gladiatorial games. There's something that sort of, sort of drives you to enjoy that sort of thing. That right uh, is somewhat pernicious, and he contrasted that with the virtue of seriousness, which is aimed at the value that you want to promote or something of this sort. And there's always this risk that what we intend to do in a serious manner is maybe corrupted in some way or we get distracted. So this, of course, connects back to your point about the daily routines is that things like a daily routine keeps one headed on the path, as it were. Yes. Another thing that stuck out to me about your work is, of course, there's this issue of role models in Stoicism. So I was wondering about how you thought about finding role models, surrounding yourself with role models, or about this rather large topic in general?
1: That's a very important topic, I think, because we do need role models. I know I need role models. And at the same time, we have to keep our heads. I think we see how easily in our desire for heroes we can forget that people are all too human, and we can be disappointed because we all know, say, someone who's a very gifted artist, say, in one discipline or another, but they're maybe a very miserly person. There's this tendency, a kind of weakness, I think, in us sometimes, if we're not disciplined in our thinking, to... Think that if a person is good in category A, then they're also good Mm -hmm. in categories B, C, D. And I know that got broadsided many times and found out people had whom I had deeply admired actually had feet of clay because as a young seeker, I was around many different spiritual leaders. And then I worked for many years in book publishing, working with some of the great thought leaders of the time Mm -hmm. and people who were considered spiritual rock stars in a way. And I knew them as authors, as people, and they were fragile or they were mean or they were a lot of things. I think it's very important for us to realize, to break down what is it in a given person that we admire and to just remind ourselves over and over again so we don't subjugate ourselves or abnegate ourselves because we're so dazzled by a person. We must remember that people have extraordinary gifts extraordinary qualities and they're also human and the main thing is it's always up to us in the end to decide what how to be a good person how to live a meaningful life no one else can tell us ultimately those Mm -hmm. answers and anyone who purports to do I, i would run away from very quickly
0: yeah, so it's a matter of clarifying what you value about the person and focusing on that, maybe what you can learn about that, and then being careful to not let that sort of permeate through every action or everything they do, so that's what you end up maybe missing, as it were.
1: Yes, and also, you don't want to see yourself as being less than them, because certainly, there are people who are endowed with great gifts, and there are people who have developed certain abilities or ways of thinking that we may admire. But that's it. That's it. That's good. But that's it. <laughs>
0: yeah, you don't have to add anything else to that. It's a, you
1: don't have to add anything else to it. Yeah, like
0: the the yeah. line that uh, Epictetus yeah. uh, says. Of course, that he went to jail. You don't have to add anything else to that he went to jail and his life is ruined. No, it's just that he went to jail. Right. Well said. Build resistance and practice Stoicism with Stoa. Stoa combines the ancient philosophy of Stoicism with meditation in a practical meditation app. It includes hundreds of hours of exercises, lessons, and conversations to help you live a happier life. Here's what our users are saying. I'm new to Stoicism and wanted to dive deeper with guidance. This is it. I love the meditations. I've practiced meditations with other apps, but this just seems to be more impactful. Life changer. With Stoa, you can really get a sense of how to take yourself out of your thoughts and get a sense of how to handle different difficult situations. Find it available for free download in the Play Store and App Store. Something I am curious about that you probably have experience with is thinking about once you're in the broadly spiritual philosophical self help game as it were, how do you prevent yourself from being the kind of person who who someone might read your book and they think, "Wow, that's fantastic," and then they bump into you as it were, and then you, maybe you've this it seems like some people get corrupted by some amount of fame or they narrow down. On particular parts of their work to the extent of other aspects of their life. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. I don't know if this is just a statement of my particular temperament. I've had a front row seat to many illustrious minds and teachers who, when they get suddenly get a lot of adulation or a lot of attention they do get carried away with it and it changes them for the worse in my own case when i over the years i've gotten a lot lots of people fans i guess you call them have reached out to me thank you for writing the book or i've heard from a number of s- soldiers particularly in afghanistan who Used the art of living as a way to get get through very dire circumstances, but when people have tried to endow me with some kind of special knowledge it it frightens me, and I want to straighten them out really fast because I don't know anything that special that other people don't know. We all have. Specialized knowledge and experience, just based on where we were placed in the world and whom we happen to come in contact with, and certainly we all try to do our best work. No, nobody, I, I don't know. I get. I guess I'm just a real populist. I just I don't believe that anyone carries any. St- special. No, I was about to say, I don't believe anyone carries special knowledge. I do, but not total special knowledge.
0: it, It goes back to, at least this is how I'm inclined to think about it. And you can push back if you think a little bit differently. But I think some people, in fact, do have special knowledge. They have insight that they can share with others, either from their experience or natural talents, whatever it may be. Some people are in some sense better than others at certain activities or domains and then one gets into trouble when you know better than others at these domains just becomes better than others or something of that sort and that's i think where we where one starts to make mistakes
1: we always have to i think turn back to ourselves and just ask ourselves in any given moment and who was it i wanted to be what do i need to do to be that person Make that r- micro-adjustment right here, right now, within the life I'm living, not someone else's circumstance. We we always have to return to ourselves. I don't mean return to our ego, but just return to this. T- I'm at a loss for words for a minute, Caleb. Just, I guess just to return to our ourselves. What do I have to give? Mm-hmm. How can I be of use?
0: Yeah, I think everyone is, probably knows more about their own life than any guru or philosophical teacher in a way, I suppose. Amen. Well, Something that I've noticed that you've probably come across as well is that occasionally people will reach out to you about your work. They'll say it's about something, how impactful a stoa is and how much they've learned about. So and they detail this situation where I've gone through these sorts of tragedies and I've made these changes to my life. And I think, why are you thanking me when I, it seems like you're the sort of person who I should be learning from, right? They've come through all these obstacles, right. so their roles should really be reversed. Uh, right.
1: I couldn't agree more because they had to do the work. They're the ones who did the work. Because any kind of, call it a spiritual change, call call it a personal or psychological change, it's never convenient. It's never easy. Any valuable change you have put upon, your, you have to exert yourself. And that's different than just reading some words on a page which can inspire you to be sure. Inspiration is wonderful, but the only thing that's real is the actions you take in the world or the actions you refrain from taking in the world the things you say, or the things you refrain from saying, Mm -hmm. and so on.
0: So how do you think about shaping your, or how someone should think about shaping one's desires so that they focus more on the person who they want to be, less on perhaps other situations, and focus less on things like competition? or status, or whatever it may be, and more on, as the Stoics would say, virtue.
1: That's a wonderful question. It does, I think, make us circle back to the idea of, call it daily practice, or daily checking in with ourselves. I think we have to, over and over and over and over and over again, point our attention simply towards the question who was it I wanted to be? Oh yeah. What do I need to do then? Very simple questions but we have to return to it over and over again and when we do and when we make a habit of returning to that question who was it I wanted to be? The Mm -hmm. how of it, the what we need to do, that'll change each time. Because, like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, the Stoic and the broad Eastern observation that life is ephemeral, that's it's just (laughs) baked into life. Life will always be changing. And given that, we always have to change our approach, but we can keep returning to who was it I wanted to be? And to say it to yourself, I want to be an honest person. That means I don't want to lie. I want to tell the truth today. I want to tell the truth today. Simple, not necessarily Mm -hmm. easy, but simple. Repetition.
0: Yeah. A lot of these things are simple, but as you said, that doesn't make it easy. Course.
1: And especially because we aren't getting regular reinforcement from the broad culture. If we just allow ourselves to be buffeted by what's going on around us, which is, it's pretty easy to fall into that. Hey, you want to go to the game? Hey, just, yeah. You just have Mm -hmm. to gather yourself over and over. What kind of person did I want? Do I want to be? I want to be someone who gives. How can I give today? specifically again and again return to ourself turn to yourself yeah
0: yeah i know some people find value out of repeatedly asking questions like that or memorizing particular mantras or using right. the physical situations as a trigger whenever you look in the mirror then you check in or whenever you get home and open some door then you just check in
1: right yeah that's i think those are excellent mnemonics, and they're also piggybacking on what you just said, Caleb, is, is that wonderful stoic idea of memento moray. We have to remember, we're going to die. That's real. That's real. We are, th- it, there's going to come a time when the off switch, is going to go off. And so what are you going to do with this time you've been inexplicably given when, when the on switch is still on, what do you want your life to stand for?
0: Yeah, that's right. It's easy to act as though one will live for 10,000 years, but it is not. Yeah.
1: It's uh, just not. It's just not.
0: What do you think you've learned about fostering community from your work with Simon and Kai on the walled garden?
1: It's been one of, I, this is not an overstatement. It's been one of the greatest gifts of my life to work with them because fundamentally, I'm I'm an introvert. I do most of my work both as a, a writer and speaker collaterally and as a musician. I'm by myself most of the time, and I enjoy my own company. But these colleagues, we found each other, we're all from different countries, very different walks of life, and yet there are ways that we want the same thing. And to be in that kind of a mutually supportive community, I wish that for everyone, regardless of whether you have a philosophical bent or not, we... I've been reminded by the beauty of this colleagueship that we are fundamentally social animals, and we need to be in dialogue with other people. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. we will just start running around in our own heads. And sometimes running around in our own heads can create a symphony or create something quite beautiful. But there's a point where you can get lost too, and there's so much magic that can happen between people coming together goodwill. It's a beautiful thing.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think in a way that's that's what organized religion excels at is creating community. Some people like to be part of organized religion. Some people don't. Some people don't want dogma. But I think we can follow that model of churches and mosques and synagogues and how they take... These are groups of people who, when you get sick, the casseroles come. People take care of each other. And we need that. God knows we need that.
0: Yeah, that's right. When my mother's family moved here from South Africa and they essentially found a church and as soon as they had found that church, there are people showing up, helping them move, bringing them uh, any extra furniture nice. they had, helping them out with meals. And that is that absolutely is a benefit of communities.
1: Yeah, they've really gotten that one right.
0: And how do you think we can... And the it's a non-religious context, or even the harder challenges in the digital world attempt to approximate the same thing, or perhaps that's not the right question. Maybe we should be thinking about not approximating what religions have done in the physical world, but creating something new. How do you think about that?
1: I do understand the spirit of your question, and it's such an important question, because in the digital world, of course, there's so much opportunity for dissimulation. In other words, for not really coming as you are, but perhaps hiding behind an avatar or some, somehow focusing on the presentation of self. Over much. And yet, this is a huge and growing part of what it means to be a human being on this planet right now. And so I don't have any particular road-tested answers to this question, but I think this is something we must keep thinking about. What am I talking about? just being real with people whether being real with ourselves i think the more we work on ourselves then we can bring our real selves i'm not talking about reckless self disclosure but sure simply not posing not posturing not doing apps that take the dark circles from under your eyes. If you've got dark circles under your eyes, you earn them. I mean that metaphorically, but I also mean it literally. We must be real. I think that can be our individual contribution towards building community in digital spaces. But I also think we need to stay strongly anchored in our local communities, to find common cause with the people around us, to work on social justice projects, or just all the small but important ways that we can fine-tune the life that we are physically in.
0: Yeah, I think it's a question I often get is about which groups to join or create? And I don't always have a good answer. One, one is just because people's situations are different, but I know it's it's certainly difficult to create a rich online community. So what your remark makes me think of is perhaps one way to do it is simply by being uh, more real, as you said, or being clear about what this community is doing. This is what we're up to. And if this aligns with what you are, up to, and you should join. If not, maybe there, there are other communities that you could join or that you can start. And there's something, there's something, can be something useful about that.
1: Yes. Do you have any further thoughts about that?
0: On creating community? Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Or even half-baked see. ideas.
0: I think that often, I think that people, when they ask this question, are sometimes more willing to join communities and foster them. And the fact of the matter is you need to do quite a bit of work for a community to go, to go. I think, yes. especially when they're in the digital sphere, even when they're not in the digital sphere. And that can be really quite simple things from if it's a Stoic meeting group to offering to lead a discussion on a particular passage or just ensuring that there is in fact a next time that the group will meet um so i think doing these sorts of things can be shouldn't be underrated
1: i like your distinction between fostering the community and merely joining it's very important yes someone once said to me and you always have much more fun at the party if you help decorate the gym
0: yeah that's a good that's a good line yeah if, I, yeah, if I think about the religious context, there's the fact that my mother's family was able to move here and get so much help works is that there's this expectation that when the next family comes, my her family would be right along everyone else and offer their time yes. and their resources. Yes. I think these groups can work well in physical spaces because often exit is harder. It's harder to... Not go show up to church, especially if you're in a smaller town. You will bump into someone who. You're where right were
1: you? about that. Where were you?
0: Yeah, where were you on Sunday? I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen you for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one one benefit of the digital world is it makes it easy to leave from communities, but there's a cost there where I think people are they ha- almost have too much optionality, there are too many choices, and well then,
1: said. Yes.
0: Yeah, so There's something to committing to what you have, even if it may not be perfect. There's probably a mistake people make in a number of domains of their life is hoping for. Now in this world where there's so many choices, so much more optionality, hoping for the perfect partner, perfect job, or when at some point you need to commit and make that job the best job you can have or make make a yes. relationship work or something like this. You know, one of my favorite essays is written by a fellow named Byrne Hobart called Against Optionality. So if someone's listening and wants to oh. follow up on that theme, it's an essay I like quite a lot. It I, revolves around... I
1: look forward to reading that. It
0: uh, revolves around his experience dating and his marriage. Yeah, so both abstract and a piece. Yes. What's the significance of the garden being wall?
1: because anything of value has to be contained and defined. We have to say, we we have to embrace the thing we're doing. This actually dovetails, I think, Caleb, with what you just said about optionality. It's not seeing the world as an undifferentiated field but select and enclosing, not as a fortress against the outside world, but to simply say, this is us, and we're talking about this, that, and the other, and this matters. So it's it's almost a kind of, what's the word, a sacralization, like making Mm -hmm. something... Consecrating, almost. Yeah, yes, that's a good word for it. That's how I think of it. I know that the image of the walled garden is has a lot of thoric and mythic significance, but it's above my pay grade to <laughs> talk about all that.
0: Oh, that's very good. Yeah. I, excellent. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Sharon?
1: I guess the only thing I was going to say is because I was really hooked in by this idea of against optionality. I think one of the greatest nuggets that i took away from stoicism in general and in writing my book the art of living is simply that reminder to that it's much better to live an inch wide and a mile deep than a mile wide and an inch deep in other words when we commit and drill down into something. When we simply just decide, this is the person I'm going to love, warts and all, and I'm all in, amazing things happen. That's where meaningfulness in life happens. When we dare to care about something, you know, the craftsmanship comes from that d- drilling down, that value of narrowing one's options and then fully entering them. That's all.
0: Excellent. Very well said.
1: What a joy to talk to you.
0: Thanks so much for coming. Thanks for listening to Stoic Conversations. If you found this conversation useful, please give us a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use, and share it with a friend. We are just starting this podcast, so every bit of help goes a long way. And I'd like to thank Michael Levy for graciously letting us use his music. Do check out his work at ancientliar.com and please get in touch with us at stoa at stoameditation.com if you ever have any feedback or questions. Until next time.